0: Hello and welcome to Switzer TV Property, I'm Peter Switzer, and on tonight's show we will test the argument that you don't have to buy an investment property that you can drive past. To argue the pros and cons, we have Margaret Lomas from destiny.com.au who definitely says you do not need to live near a property you rent out, while the real estate gym's Tom Penos doesn't totally agree. You listen and decide what argument is the strongest. And then we have the renowned Aussie landscaper, Dean Herald of Rolling Stone Landscapes, who explains how landscaping can have a huge impact on the value of your home. And he uses his coalface connections with property to make predictions on house prices going forward. You would like to hear it if you want prices to go up. That's the show. So let's kick off with Margaret Lomas. Well, you know, I've got a number of expert buddies in the real estate space. And one buddy, Margaret Lomas says, it doesn't matter where you're going to buy a property. You don't have to be able to drive past. It doesn't have to be in a local area. While others think you should. So I wanted to actually put the argument on the table and see the, the pros and cons of both arguments. So let's kick off first of all with Margaret Lomas from Destiny Financial. Margaret, great to see you. Um, You have actually always said it doesn't matter where you buy as long as it's a good value place to buy.
1: Look, yes, that's kind of half right. It does matter where you buy, obviously, but you don't need to see where you're going to buy to be able to get the information that you need to make sure that you're getting that great value buy in the right kind of an area that is going to grow in the future for you and deliver the cash flow you need along the way.
0: So you're saying you don't need to be able to drive by your investment property.
1: I'm going to go out on a limb here and go so far as to say, that's the worst thing that you can do for a whole lot of reasons. And I think you will be a better investor if you learn how not to do that.
0: Okay. Now tell us why it's a bad thing to drive past your investment property.
1: Okay. So there's a number of things or a number of reasons why it's bad, and I'm going to start with before you buy that property. And what tends to happen, and I know this definitely happens to me, if you are fully involved in buying your investment property to the point where you're going and looking at properties, you're doing a couple of things. First of all, you're becoming emotionally involved and there's just no two ways about it. When we go and see property, we use our eyes, we decide what we like, we decide what we don't like, and we make our decision based on a gut feeling on how it feels when we look at it, rather than on the, the basis of data that we've been able to collect about that area. And even if you've collected the data first and you've then gone out and had a look at it, I can tell you now what will happen is you will change your mind if you just think that the property isn't very nice, if it doesn't suit your personal tastes. So and and i know this is true i've seen properties that i bought after i bought them and i can tell you i never would have bought them before if i'd seen them before because i didn't like them they didn't suit me they weren't what i would live in and i don't necessarily have a good instinct for that sort of thing but those same properties have done really really well for me once i bought them so that's the first reason when you're buying you can't afford to become emotional You can't afford to not like that orange kitchen or that dated bathroom or the neighborhood or the street or the lady next door, because none of that has anything to do with how well that property and area is going to do.
0: Yeah, It's interesting you should say that I'm reflecting upon some of the properties I've bought in my lifetime. And I guess the very first one we bought was in Paddington in Sydney when Paddington in Sydney wasn't popular. Uh, and, and and the neighbor was a really old-fashioned lady from the, the 1930s who who interfered and and yelled out nights and stuff like that but she was a wonderful woman but yeah, if you made the object you know the objective assessment you might not have bought that place
1: um, uh, absolutely and, and I think that's the other side of that coin the thing is that what it can do is looking at a property before you buy it isn't going to change whether or not it's a good property. The data is the data. It's either going to grow or not. And it's going to grow on the basis of a whole range of growth drivers. Looking at it isn't going to make those drivers any better or worse. But what it might do is it might make you reject a property that was otherwise a really good investment because you don't like the way you feel about it. Or on the flip side of that, it might make you fall in love with a property or an area that really has already grown really well and you're too late to the party or doesn't have the things it needs to be able to grow and actually perform in your portfolio. So that's the first reason why you shouldn't be looking at a property or driving past it.
0: Okay, now before you meet your next reason, and you'll probably have an answer to this, and it's probably one of the reasons, is that a lot of people want to drive past the property because they really don't want to trust and rely on an agent. You know, agents have a long history of really pissing people off. So yeah. I bet you that's another one of the reasons that you probably say, well, your job is to find a good, reliable agent to work with.
1: You see, you don't need me on the show
0: because you got <laughs> the answers. Um, and that I mean, is- I'm used to you picking me up on my mistakes, but go on.
1: And that is the second reason why you don't go and look at a property, or you don't need to have it near where you live. And there's two reasons why you don't need to have it near where you live. Firstly, that temptation to drive past it all of the time takes time, you might get upset with the property manager, you might not like the way the tenant is looking after the property. Unless the tenant's really trashing the property, then an unmowed lawn doesn't really change whether or not that property's performing well. And all it's going to do for you is take up your time and take up your, your stress levels you need to decide whether you wanna be a property investor or a property manager. If you wanna be a property manager, then manage properties and manage other people's properties too, but don't expect it to be able to turn out well for you in terms of the investment into assets for your own portfolio. So I don't like the fact that people think they need to have them right near where they live so that they can keep an eye on them. Yes, you need to learn the skills to retain a good property manager. And if you can't retain a good property manager or you don't have the skills to do so, or you are worried that you won't be able to get a good manager, then simply make sure that your termination clause in your property management agreement is short so that if they don't perform well, you can quickly get rid of them and get another property manager in to take over. But there is a more important reason why you shouldn't get property in the proximity to where you live And again, that reason splits into two. Firstly, you don't necessarily live in the area that is the next best area to grow. So areas that you should be buying are ones that are pre hotspot, that are pre blue chip, not ones that have already arrived and happened because their best period of growth will be behind them and you've missed them. But more importantly, If you're going to buy properties that you can drive by and keep an eye on, all your portfolio will be in one area. And to build a good solid portfolio that performs for years to come, your properties need to be widely spread around Australia, taking advantage of that pre-hot spot every time you buy and being in the box seat for growth in every area. Most areas will go through cycles. And if you're buying all your property in the one area, everything you own is going to be in a down cycle at the same time.
0: Mar- Margaret, when it comes to stocks, I, I say to all my clients and subscribers and readers and whatever, that a great time to buy quality properties is when the, the market is really off the boil and, and the market has been totally mistreated. And and I when I think about that in terms of property, we know the Perth market has been mistreated for quite some time. And you have been saying that, you thought that the Perth market was eventually going to come good. Uh, Was that a a classic case of
1: uh,
0: an investor should have been looking in in Perth and surrounds um, ahead of the, the, the bounce back we've seen recently?
1: Absolutely. We started advising our clients toward the end of last year and throughout the beginning of this year, that Perth was an area to begin to look at again. But before that, we didn't. It's important to understand that you don't want to be sitting with a property that's not growing for a very, very long time, because that's going to really stall your capacity to grow the portfolio by adding more. Most people add property because they've got equity growing and other properties that give them essentially the deposits to, to add more property. So if you've got areas that aren't growing for a long time, that stalls it. So it is about market timing. You know, people will say all the time that property is, or property investing, isn't about market timing it's about time in market well it's about both and market timing is critical because Mm -hmm. if you don't get that market timing right you might sit for a long time so i guess the bottom line is that we don't want to buy in an area that will never grow and there are areas that won't grow in your investing lifetime they might grow in 30 years time but the foreseeable future and i call an investing timeline roughly 10 to 15 years for most people that some areas aren't going to grow. But there are areas that do go through the doldrums for various reasons, and Perth has been one of them. But we've really seen the signs of a change in the last 12 months with the vacancy rate shrinking right down to under 1%. And of course, now we've got ANZ Bank predicting a 12% increase in property prices in this coming year. Um, And many people believing that over the next two years, we're going to see around a 20% addition to the growth in Perth. So, you know, there, there's so many things that people have to know about buying property. It isn't just about seeing one you like and buying it and thinking, I've done my job, i bought a property, I'm now building a portfolio. It's just as hard as investing in shares and probably harder, mm-hmm. I think, because you can't dump it if it's a bad choice and you've spent a lot more money in the one asset. Mm-hmm. So there's so much that you need to be able to do that you can't afford to become emotional And you have to understand that properties need to grow, but while you're waiting for that growth, they need to give you a good enough cash flow so that you don't get strangled by the financial burden of holding that property while you're waiting for it to grow.
0: Margaret, is there anything else you need to tell us about not buying a property we can drive by?
1: Have you got like another hour and a half? (laughs) Because if you have, okay, okay, you a whole lesson on how to, uh, to avoid buying a lemon. And maybe okay. we should do the next segment that we do on how to avoid buying a
0: lemon. Okay, next time we, we catch up, it won't be too too uh, far away. Margaret Lamas from destiny.com. Yes, that's, that's exactly right. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I yeah, and an AU and, and as well? Destiny. Um, yes. Okay, destiny.com.au. One of, these, one of these centuries, I'll get it right. Thanks very much for joining us, Margaret.
1: Thanks, Pete.
0: Joining me now is Tom Panos, the founder of Real Estate Training and NewsCorpRealEstate.com. Thanks for coming to the program, Tom. How are you going? Very good, mate. Now, we're we're interested in this fact that some people uh, don't want to buy a home, uh, a a rental property um, nearby. Others do. Others think it's a really important thing. Now, recent research has actually shown that third-party property investors are actually choosing to buy 200 kilometres from their homes and uh, remote li- living has become more popular. And may I throw this in, Tom? I know some people say uh, it doesn't matter where you buy, as long as it works. But I know John McGrath often said to me, you know, having a place nearby which you can check out is not a bad idea. Where do you um, sit on this debate? Uh,
2: in the middle, because um, I actually... Um I had a when I was very young, I had a a, a, a Jewish landlord that said to me, the Jewish uh, real estate strategy is that you never buy real estate unless you know you can look at it very quickly with your eyes, right? Mm. So I was brought along thinking about that. But over the years, as I've got older, I've seen people, Uh, intelligently invest out of the area, because what it does allow you to do, Peter, is you might not be able to actually even be in the market in an area that you're living um, near, but it'll allow you to actually buy in an area that's up and coming, that might not be as good as your current area, but is on the way up, and that is when you've got to look at 200Ks plus.
0: Yeah, now Tom, on that argument then, what are the pros, of having a property nearby as opposed to the cons.
2: Well, the pros are probably in the purchasing, because when you would have purchased it, you would have known a lot of the things that don't seem obvious to the buyer. So the average buyer might look at realestate.com and say, hey, yeah, look, that looks really good. But when you're actually buying in an area that you're actually very familiar with, you actually know the good bits in that area and the bad bits in that area. You know whether there's any sort of proposal that's coming in. You also know things that others don't know. You might find out that, hey, there's a new school that's going up that's going to be, you know, in that area area. So there's all these things that you don't get when you're a passive buyer in a marketplace, you only go in and buy for over a one week or two week period. But when you actually live around that area, you seem to actually spend more time in the due diligence period. And that's the advantages of actually buying in an area that's close to you.
0: Yeah. And I must admit, the first property I bought, which we lived in, was actually two doors down from where I lived Uh, in Paddington in those days, and Paddington wasn't a popular area in those days, believe it or not. Um, And we were actually looking in Surrey Hills and Darlinghurst, the next suburbs along, and and just by fluke we found out that a neighbour who was moving uh, really didn't want to give it to a real estate agent. He just went to his mate who was a valuer at the Commonwealth Bank, and and the price was actually below the market price. So we got lucky, and I knew the area very well. Um, So that, that was a case that sort of supports your argument. Now, the cons, what's the, the cons of buying in a place where you feel comfortable about?
2: Um, this is, uh, the, uh, sorry, the cons if you're buying out of the area or within the area. Yeah,
0: within the area. So you, you've argued the case for buying in, but what, what are the big negatives of buying a place that you, because you know it, you buy it, but are you missing out on something else?
2: Okay, so the first thing is, and whilst this didn't happen in your case because you bought off market, and off market is where all the opportunities lie, right? Correct. But generally speaking, the person that bought your property is normally an emotional buyer. And the reason why is you live in the street, you're emotionally attached to it. So often at an auction, I notice the person that pays top dollar is the person that lives next door. They've got this emotive reason to buy. Mm. So that to me is one of the cons. Another con is that you can actually have Things like land tax work against you if you actually stockpile property and you just buy property in in one state, for instance. You don't get the benefit of the threshold of going into another area. And the third thing is uh, when you actually only buy in an area that you're actually very familiar with, hey, it might've run its course. It might be the sort of area that will have growth, but it's not gonna have the exponential growth than some of the other suburbs that are going through gentrification um, at a particular time. So they're, they're probably the, the, the cons of when you're sticking to your own area.
0: Okay, so it seems to me you're also implying, Tom, that if you're gonna be a property investor, you should have a business-like approach and you should be scanning all the potential buying opportunities right around the country to see if something really is fantastic value in terms of the purchase price and the potential rents and therefore return on investment you could get.
2: 100%. And not just the property, but the infrastructure that's happening around that property. For instance, let's talk about the North Connects that's actually linking people to get onto the freeway to get to the Central Coast. Mm -hmm. Like, if you'd actually bought... Um, say a year or two years ago on the Central Coast, knowing that you're going to only have one set of traffic lights onto the freeway to take you off to the Central Coast, you would realise, hey, hang on a second, the distance between Sydney and there is going to be a lot closer infrastructure's working in our favour. So don't just look at, you know, the property, look around the infrastructure, isn't making it a more desirable place due to government spending into that marketplace.
0: Yeah. How can you be sure when you're living in Sydney and you go and buy a place in Perth and you and I probably six months ago talked about the potential of Perth and Perth is actually now doing really well, How how can you be be sure and how can you monitor that the real estate agent doing your work over there will be as good as you at looking after the property?
2: What you've got to basically do, Peter, is run a process-driven approach as a landlord if that's the case. You're not going to have the luxury of being able to physically see it, so distance is against you. But what you will have in your side is getting the best property manager there, and that basically means having, you know, those um, quarterly inspections on the property, uh, making sure that you fix problems when they're small. So you need a property manager. You want a property manager telling you about the water on the ceiling about six months before the roof comes down, right? Fix problems when they're small. So I suppose what I'm saying is your need and requirement to have a total professional managing the property skyrockets when you live outside of that area. And the other thing I would say is be smart about it. You do have a holiday once or twice a year. It'll probably be tax deductible if you line it up with your uh, maintenance inspection and end up having some holidays in the areas where you've bought this investment property so you can see it. But without a doubt, Peter, all problems with property management all stem from the start. Who is the tenant you approve in the first place? Mm. That's the, that's the deal. You get a bad tenant, you're going to have a bad experience. You get a good tenant, you have a good experience.
0: All right, Tom, before we wrap up, what, what's the advice you'd give to anyone who's actually going to think about scanning the country, trying to find the best place to buy and then being a property investor from afar?
2: Make data your best friend and that means realestate.com, domain for that matter, even though I'm not involved with them, uh, CoreLogic, RP data you've got so much data available. I mean, right now we've nearly got the same data that the financial markets um, have had for many, many years to be able to see what's going on. And then the other thing I would say is understand it is really, really, really hard to make decisions um, on timing in the market. I think that what you've got to do is make a business. I'm going, when you buy a property, you're going into business with that property, right? So you've got to ask yourself, am I going to go into business with this property on a temporary decision or on a permanent decision? So I would say that. And the last thing I would say, Peter, is look for areas that haven't taken off that are next to an area that has taken off. Example. Don't buy in Byron Bay, buy in ocean soils. Don't buy in Terrigal, buy in Copacabana, right? What you do is you buy in the next suburb because we clearly know, for instance, in Sydney, Peter, we clearly know the best suburb to buy is, is the next one west from the last suburb that took off. So what happens is, Marrickville's too much, go to the next one, Dulwich Hill. It's too much, go to Canterbury. It's too much go to Billmore. So you keep going west because what you wanna do is to follow the crowd, follow where the money's gonna go and read that play. And on that note, Peter, I wanted to share this with you. I've been doing a lot of interviews myself over this COVID period, and you're the only guy, you're the only guy that said, hey, listen, it's not Armageddon. Get calm, get collected property prices aren't going to drop 30%. The stock market is going to go back up, right? Um, How did they get it all wrong? How did they get it all wrong? The predictions were 30% down in real estate. Even the ones that were the most, look, some said it might probably go down minus 10%. No one said it would go up 10%, right? Everyone said it would actually be lower. But uh, I don't know, Peter, how you read the play, um, and you said the vaccine was coming before the vaccine was coming. So well done.
0: Okay, mate. We well just make sure you tell all your real estate mates to read Switzer Daily every day so they're always ahead of the curve. Mate, I do.
2: I read it. I've read it. I've read it this morning. I read it every morning. Thank you, Peter.
0: See you, Tom. Thanks for coming on the program. Well, with property prices still going through the roof despite the coronavirus, I want to look at an aspect that's often ignored uh, by normal people, but people in the industry know how important it is, and that is the role of landscaping and the impact it can have on the value of a property. Joining me is Dean Harold, the founder of Rolling Stone Landscapes, a guy who's won a gold medal at the Chelsea Flower Show, um, among other things. Uh, Dean, thanks for joining us. My pleasure,
3: lovely to be with you.
0: Yeah, same here, mate. Now let's, uh, Let's just, before we start talking about the importance of landscaping to an overall value of a property, what's it been like for landscapers uh, in 2020, the year of the coronavirus? Yeah,
3: look, I think when, uh, you know, everyone has their March story, what happened in March, we were we were still fortunate. Actually, all the projects we were working on uh, continued, which we were really super fortunate about. However, we did lose about five or six jobs that were in the pipeline. Uh, understandably, clients contacted us and said, "Look, we need to put things on hold." That uncertainty. Uh, we tend to work for a lot of business owners um, is our clientele, um, so you know they had issues with their business, that uncertainty, so they put pause on um, you know their personal uh, projects, um, which uh, we were expecting. Um, and like I said, fortunately the projects were on, um, they continued. Um, and then it didn't take too long, I'd say probably five or six weeks. Just, it just sort of felt like there was this slight bit of confidence. A few projects that went on pause started to sneak back. And then uh, as we slid forward uh, into that June, July period, um, I almost need to buy another phone just to sort of keep up with it. So it's been really interesting. Yeah. Mm.
0: And, and, and did you find that you were getting inquiries from people who had become home-based uh, and working you know, professionally from home, but also having a look at the, their house and, and also realizing they weren't spending money on overseas holidays and things like that. And I thought, well, it's about time we just you know, ramped up this garden. Yeah, look, I've given that a
3: little bit of thought about uh, you know, the mindset of people and where things come from. Um, I, I think it falls into a number of camps. Um, you touched on it there about overseas trips. Uh, a lot of the families we work with uh, may have an overseas trip per year. They might be lucky enough to have a couple. Um, oh. That's not happening this year. More than likely, it may not happen next year by the sounds of it. So that that's a, that's a decent chunk of income. I think also just when you have this level of a pandemic that actually happens, people just reevaluate their life, the importance of hanging out with family, and then they look at the facilities they have and they go, well, I think we could just do this better. Um, the cost of moving in Sydney is significant. Um, so the renovation market in Sydney, and we're involved a lot in, you know, pulling out the old pool and putting in the new one that, you know, might be 30 or 40 years old and renovating, renovating a pool sometimes becomes problematic. So you, you reach that pointy bit where you start pulling out pools and doing, and we were involved in outdoor kitchens and pavilions, and, and, and we we're basically building someone's own restaurant in their backyard. So hmm. during the pandemic, um, that's been a very handy brief to be able to execute for the families we work with.
0: Yeah. I got to say, in my younger days, when I was a school teacher, I taught um, Scott Cam, so uh, (laughs) I've seen him knock around a few backyards, and he's he's a time as well. But yeah, yeah, but the the, the actual fascination for having uh, a backyard that has everything from you know uh, fireplaces to to bars to um, kitchens and stuff like that it's a it's a new era that you would never have thought about 20 or 30 years ago, would you?
3: Yeah, very true. I, I actually, um, I think it's gone to a position now where things are often a trend and a trend is something that generally doesn't last and something else replaces it. Um, that's been well and truly proven out of this situation here. Uh, the elements that we get involved with uh, uh, is part of a normal, um, uh, property market in in Sydney. So having those level of inclusions are actually what people are after. And often you've just got to look at the real estate advertisement that actually sells a property these days. If you go back, you know, many years ago, it used to be the hero shot of the kitchen or the bathroom. That's what they led the shot with. Now it's the Bifold doors open, looking out to the alfresco area, over the swimming pool, because you are actually selling a lifestyle in real estate, more so than selling a home. And, um, And also the other part of what we do and and what comes to realise, your backyard is probably the last place that you can kind of misbehave. The (laughs) one place left where there's less rules, there's not a dress code, there's not a lockout law, there's not every other compliance that you have to meet, and you can invite who you want into that space and enjoy that space. And that's actually quite a realisation for a lot of people. And especially if you have younger kids, the younger kids could basically, you know, take care of themselves in the house at certain times or you can put them to bed and you don't have to leave that restaurant. That's all relevant to people's lifestyle.
0: Yeah, without a doubt. Can, can you give, give us a rough idea of what you've learned over the years in terms of what an upgrade of a, of a landscaping um, to a property would do to the value of that property when it goes to sale?
3: Yeah, certainly. I mean, all that always determines how long someone's been in a property. Uh, um, often, sometimes people are obviously very concerned about overcapitalizing, which they should be, but you need to put that in the context of when did you buy the property and when are you thinking of selling it? Um, if you just bought the property last year and you're gonna sell it tomorrow, you know, obviously you need to make better financial decisions of how you upgrade it. So in that situation, it could be a bit of a makeover. However, if you've been in the property for some time and everything is tied and everything else in the area is at a different level, well, that's an opportunity for you to drag your property price up to where it could be and actually realise some of those profits. Otherwise someone else buys the property and they're gonna do it and they'll realise those profits. So it definitely can increase the value dramatically uh, pending again, your entry level. Um, The other probably important part it, um, and this has a cost value to it as well, uh, the days on days on the market can uh, reduce dramatically because uh, you have the place that actually has the best pictures and it's got the best lifestyle and it actually sells quick. And the most important thing in real estate is to get at least two buyers fighting over the same product. Yeah. And if you can achieve that through emotion and what we tend to build uh, long-lasting items that uh, uh, their environments that people. Uh, want to create the atmosphere in and then there's an emotional attachment to that it, it, it actually has a value that people want to actually achieve.
0: Yeah it's funny you should say that as I was listening to you I recall that you know we have a, a, a property in the mountains which has a fantastic garden and uh, it was only last weekend I was looking out the window and just I just said to my wife I said you know that vista of all the greenery yeah, it still knocks me out after all these years. You know, we bought that. We bought this property two weeks after Lehman Brothers failed because I thought everyone'd be so <laughs> so scared they'd cut their price, and they did. But yeah. you know, the, the thing is, is just it's just something that is a recurring thing. So for someone who sees it for the first time,
3: mm-hmm. it would be
0: a, an unbelievable knockout effect in terms of what they might offer to buy the place. Yeah, and, and what you're
3: talking about there is a natural asset. Which offers, often is, you know, uh, the hero of a, a lot of properties, and for others who don't may not have that natural view, or they might not have a, a mountain view or a water view. Uh, that's where our role comes in to create that atmosphere and to create that view in what we actually design and build.
0: Yeah, so there's one thing to actually create it. The other side of it is to maintain it, and mm-hmm. and I know with my own personal experience because of the, the bushfire season, when there were water restrictions. You know, the garden was negatively affected um, uh, and, and we've been working hard to bring it back. Um, do you think people often don't understand the importance of maintenance and therefore, as a consequence, the value of that landscape goes off the boil?
3: Absolutely. It's probably, it needs to be part of that conversation. And I often put it in the same analogy as a car. If you, if you spend good money on a, on, a, on a quality car, the idea of just leaving it outside, never washing it, never vacuuming it is obviously going to have an effect on that asset. And it's not too different with your with your landscape space, and not just garden, but also structural maintenance. When it comes to regular cleaning of your stone or what or your uh, other structural elements outside, in addition to the horticultural conversation, um, both of those are really important to to maintain the asset that you've actually originally spent, um, and you should be able to really uh, stretch out the longevity of all of that. And as a mature as a garden matures, it's only going to become more impressive to those who view it.
0: Okay, I love talking to people who are at the coalface in the property sector. Uh, what's your feeling about what's going to happen in the market next year, given what you're seeing? Like, the, I often I remember when I was uh, working with James Valentine on the ABC many years ago. I um, w- the the building industry was really struggling, and we, and I was looking for indicators that might show that the things were turning around. And some of the big the big market indicators or or even growth indicators were looking positive, but we weren't weren't seeing it. And of course a classic one is to to count the cranes on the the skyline. But I I also realized after talking to a builder, when he he said to me, well, if we've got a contract, the first thing we order is a portal. So I, mm-hmm. I, I created the Dunny index and bring <laughs> up all the, all the places that actually put out um, a or the equivalents and yeah. the Dunny, the, the Dunny index actually proved that the market was turning around. So you, you, you also must have those sort of indicators. Do you think 2021 is going to be a solid year for, for property and prices?
3: Yeah, look, all, everything at the moment I'm looking at is, has those indicators. I think what's interesting about Sydney, um, things can turn quick either way. And that's what's mm-hmm. really interesting. You used to see these cycles that slowly come up and then they slowly go away. Um, property recovers really quickly. It wasn't too, wasn't too long ago where there was news headlines about how much the property price is going down in Sydney. Mm-hmm. And, now, uh, and now auction clearance rates are starting to get up near all-time highs as well. In relation to our inquiries and the other uh, colleagues that I connect with, suppliers, um, people can't get stock, people can't get tiles. uh, We can't import things quick enough. um, You can't get contractors. Um, Your Dunny Index is our bricklayer index. It's hard to get a bricklayer. Um, They seem to rule the world. We never really learn by that, but somehow (laughs) the bricklayers still seem to run the building industry somehow. And uh, so at the moment, I would say it's looking very, very strong. And for us, I wouldn't say just 2021, I would say it's starting to stretch. Uh, This will stretch for another, uh, a good couple of years, I think as well.
0: That's great news, Dean, thanks for joining us. My pleasure, take care.